Apple Music is here to make heading back to university a breeze this year with their epic special offer. If you're a university student and you sign up for Apple Music now, you'll get the first six months free. Yeah, you heard me right. Six months free. And wait for it. There's a little bit more. You'll also get a free subscription to Apple TV+. Plus. I mean, there's only so many times you can watch Parks and Rec, right? Get busy exploring over 70 million songs, all ad-free. Remember, this offer is for new subscribers only and only available to students. So verification will be required on sign-up. Even better, after your free period is over, your subscription will renew for $29.99 per month, which is a steal. This offer is valid until the 30th of April, 2021. So like, get off the couch and get busy listening. Hello and welcome to Tex Talks. I am Tex and today I am talking to a Sama winning rapper and entrepreneur who has built a reputation for delivering sharp lyricism and cutting edge visuals. This jack of all trades started out as a video director and songwriter of anthems that would go on to become South African radio staples before deciding to focus on his own career, starting a record label and most recently releasing his debut album that reinforces his affinity for highlighting his heritage. I am, of course, talking about Younger Chief. Younger, hello and welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So what we like to do here on Text Talks in order to go forward and get a sense of who you are now is I, look, I like to look back at my guests' history and their roots so I want to know, what was your childhood like growing up in Queenstown in the Eastern Cape? Um, it was pretty fun. I think, um, you know, I grew up in a family of, uh, I had an older brother at the time um, for like maybe like nine, ten years. And then um, we had twins after that. So I was kind of like a middle child. So, yeah, I was a bit, little bit conflicted, <laughs> but um, very huge introvert. Um it's a very small town, so I was like one of the only people doing music or interested in it. And um, yeah, it was just, a, a, I would say, a normal upbringing. I read that your dad had a real fondness for R&B and soul icons like Teddy Pendergrass and Barry White and Luther Vandross. But it was actually your older brother who essentially introduced you to hip hop through Eminem's debut album. Can yeah. you remember what it was about that specific album that ignited that hip hop spark in you? Well, first, first, I think his obsession was a bit um, abnormal, was a bit over the top. <laughs> So I kind of like didn't have a choice. But once I got into it, I think I related most to Eminem's story. I mean, having grown up listening to love songs, essentially, um, through my dad, it was quite refreshing to hear someone just articulate their own upbringing and, you know, their own environment of where they're from. It kind of opened my eyes to like a different world, which, mm-hmm. which, which is like um, in America, you know. And I could relate to that because um, Eminem also had a bit of a uh, troubled upbringing, you know? Yeah, to say the least. (laughs) Yeah. And then what ultimately 
made you decide to pack up and leave the Eastern Cape and head to Joburg? Because, you know, coming from a small town and heading to a city like Joburg where it's all hustle and bustle and grind, I mean, I'm pretty sure that from the first day that you arrived there, your senses were a bit assaulted. Look, I'd always, um, you know, I'd been watching or looking and learning about Joburg through film and TV, you know. Um, I remember as far back as watching Yizo Yizo, I kind of got a sense of what other schools are like, you know, and I realized how much of a protected environment I was actually growing up in, you know. Um, essentially, I always just wanted to be um, in that TV, in that box, you know, and I knew that the only place to do that would be in Joburg. Um, so I was kind of like always just preparing myself um, throughout the years for my uh, move to Joburg. And the only way I could get to Joburg was if I, I actually studied in Joburg after matriculating. So in my head, I was, I was always prepared. But uh, obviously when I got here, you know, it was the real thing. And um, it, it did take some getting used to, you know. So then you arrive and all of a sudden it's the real thing. Where are you staying? Do you have contacts that side, like friends or family? What's your living situation like when you arrive? So um, my, like my dad passed in, when I was in grade 10. So my mom asked me um, to just maybe like take a gap year or two and wait for my older brother to finish varsity. And we agreed that I would have a two-week holiday with my aunt um, who stays in Midrand. And um, but I got to Joburg and I met up with my friends at UJ, and you know I found out about Nafsis and I applied, and um, yeah I got in and they were paying for my fees. So at the time I didn't have anywhere to stay, and my mom couldn't actually afford me being there. So I stayed with friends, um, what you call squatting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in their apartment um, that they were staying at some student accommodation. And yeah, so every day, like, you know, I would wake up and go to school and some days the landlord would come through and I would pretend that I just walked in and I was just waiting for everybody to get ready. So it would go. <laughs> but yeah, so that was that was kind of it. And like for for money and stuff and pocket money, I, I used to I used my skill of um, art and I customized uh, sneakers for the ladies on campus. And um, yeah, that was basically how I made pocket money. What, uh, what kind of, of customization would you do on their sneakers? I just write the name, you know, add some glitter, you know, things that girls like. (laughs) Basically bedazzling their converse. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd buy like some um, some Converse-looking sneakers at like Mr. Price um, with some of the money they gave me, and I'd buy the art tools and I'd just customize and put their names on it, and it, it it actually worked. You know, like people always overlook Mr. Price, but like Mr. Price and also Pip as well. They've got some legit-looking sneakers that, like, back in the day when I was a student and I like, couldn't afford the real thing. Like, that's totally what I was buying. Yeah. Yeah, so if you wanted to look a bit extra, you'd uh, take it to me. <laughs> so from very early on, you linked up with former Squatter Camp rap- rapper Slicker, who is a hip-hop and media legend in his own right. Um, 
But what were some of the first couple of hustles that you did working alongside him? Because I was very interested to learn that you directed Squatter Camp's Hey, that actually picked up a Metro FM award for best video back in like 2010. Yeah. So I started in 2007 um, working with Slicker. I had met him um, because in my second year I joined the SRC and we had a Valentine's auction around February and Bonang Mateba was also on the SRC and she brought um, a celebrity which was Slicker um, and so I approached him, you know, I just, you know, want to tell him, you know, I'm a rapper too, you know, blah, 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 you know, same old, same old. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I just got a website, you know, send me an email, blah, 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 you know. And I sat in like dealers, whatever, 105 or whatever. And I sat there in front of that screen for like an hour trying to think of something different to say to him that a thousand kids weren't already saying. And so I told him, you know, I, I, I just wanted to learn about the music business because from where I'm from, like there was three of us that I knew that were rapping. There's obviously a rap um, culture that was going on that I wasn't aware of, mm-hmm. but um, there was three of us that were rapping and I was the best of three. And so, you know, I, I just told him like, you know, I want to learn the business because since I've got to Joburg here, I've ran into like 500 rappers and I really don't have time to outrap all these guys. So I need him to just like show me how the actual music business works. If he needs any help, you know, I'll be around. So I started shadowing him for, for like a couple months. And then the following year, um, I actually dropped out and, and, and did the slicker thing full time. Um, and then he, he let me uh, do the website administration for his website. Oh, rad. Yeah. And then I got the crazy idea to throw in some videos on the side to make it exciting. I came up with this uh, reality show called The Rapper's Reality where I'd spend a day with like uh, any rapper or different rappers. I remember meeting uh, Joop Joop actually um, on the set of uh, Tear Gas's Go Away video. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, well, obviously before everything happened, but like, you know, he was like the epitome of like a superstar rapper at the time, you know? And those are the kind of experiences that I, I got, like just working on that website and and learning how to like edit and direct and shoot, you know, all very self-taught um, on the spot stuff, you know. And that led to actually making an actual music video, you know. Um, Slick just threw me into the deep end. Um, he made me uh, direct a video for his new artist called Questa. You know, and um, yeah, just I did a small, it. just a small dude called Questa. Yeah, just some, some skinny guy from the East Rand. <laughs> you know, so I think um, I was so like, I think I was kind of like very disappointed in how that first video turned out. So I actually decided to do all of his videos. And I was getting better, but, you know, I wasn't doing the guy justice. And um, there was a point where I did uh, Boom Shagalaka mm-hmm. for Cuesta. And uh, that's the last video I did for him because that's the one where I, I decided that I finally did him justice. And that's a dope video. And thank you. You hit your peak. So you wash your hands. You're like, I'm done now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> You know, all the years 
over all of the years, all of the times that I've met Slicker, he's such a, he's such a informative, interesting, engaging dude. And I've learned so much from him over the years. What's one thing that maybe stands out to you that he maybe said to you or maybe just a general way of how he does business that will stick with you? I was so fortunate with Slicker in the sense that um, over and above just being able to work with him on a daily basis, um, you know, he'd take me home a lot of the times. And in those car rides home, you know, he would really like um, sometimes vent, you know, or just give me like his thoughts and, you know, his vision on what he's doing. And I think those moments were the special ones that uh, that I still carry with me until today. But him as a person, you know, I think he's just his, his unwavering belief in his ideas, you know, and, you know, and confidence in, in, in all of the things that he comes up with and just believing them and seeing them through because social media at the time, you know, and websites and all this stuff wasn't a, a, a really big thing as it is mm. now. But I think that um, since then, like he always had the vision that it would get this big and it would be this far. And he stuck to it and he stuck to his guns till today. And you can see today why he's such a big player in that type of industry, you know. So I always just like, you know, thank him for that, you know, um, just sticking to your guns and seeing your ideas through. Well, it's kind of like how, you know, with your music videos, you stuck to your guns with Cuesta. Like in the beginning, you were like, ah, yeah. no, maybe I'm not hitting my mark. But then you worked your way up and then you hit boom shakalak and then you were like, okay, cool. Hey, fuck you think you're playing with. Yeah. <laughs> And funny enough, Boom Shakalaka is the video that introduced me to AKA, you know. Ah, so okay. That was the next chapter of my life, you know. But then you eventually ended up starting your own production company, yeah. uh, you know, after all of the videos that you were doing. And was this sort of something that you were like, okay, I'm good. Let me just try it out and see what actually happens. Like, let me formalize this into a business. Or... Or was it something that you were like, okay, this is now what I want to do? To be honest with you, I think, um, you know, I, I accidentally fell into the film realm. You know, um, I did a lot of things um, earlier on back then, like for survival. You know, I just mm -hmm. needed to like, pay rent and have a roof over my head and like uh, have something to eat and, you know, uh, money to spend. And, um, but along the way, I did fall in love with um, the art of, you know, music videos. Running action! And I did become like a, a big player in it, you know. Um, so I, when I did start my own production company, I think it was just the natural thing to do or the most expected thing to do, but it, it wasn't a success, you know. Um, it's a very different ball game when you're doing music videos. Um, by yourself without the umbrella or the protection of a big record label um, like Slick's label, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there were very hard lessons that I learned there. And I think the failure of uh, my production company is what took me back to music, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I just made a decision in my head, like, you know, I have no idea because in my head it makes sense to, make a production company, that's the most logical thing to do. That's what will work. That's what people know me for. But I just decided that I'm going to dive headfirst into my own music and um, God will have to just uh, find a way for it to make sense, you know? 
Yeah. But before you dove into making your own music, you had a hand in writing some of the biggest hip hop songs of the last five, six years in this country. At at what point do you decide, okay, I'm going to stop writing songs for other people and I'm going to start focusing on making my own music? Um, the songwriting thing was also just an accidental thing. I used to stay behind at the office with Slicker and pretend that I was going to go home in the next 30 minutes and wait for everybody to leave. And then I'd stay all night and I'd watch YouTube videos and I'd just teach myself how to record myself, you know, and I'd make music like that. And then... Yanga, you know, some people would die to have your accidents be their entire career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and then, you know, the guys would come back in the morning. I'd just change my shirt and act like I was there first, you know, <laughs> <laughs> after sleeping on the floor. But, yeah, so I think that's that's just how I learned to, like, write for other people because um, whenever Slicker and, and Sugar Smacks were working, on their albums, you know, I'd, I'd be there, you know, I'd just be throwing ideas in, you know, even um, the first person other than them that I wrote a song for was Questa, actually. I did the Boom Shakalaka hook. Mm. Um, and from then on, it just became a natural thing because I'm also such a, just a fan of music. So, like, when I see an artist, there's, like, something that I want to know about them or a way that I hear their voice working and stuff, and I, and I kind of you know, contribute like a different dimension or a different angle to what they're already doing. And I think that's what makes it um, a bit like worthwhile to have me writing something on your song. Um, but yeah, I think after that, you know, a lot of people were just asking me before I asked myself, like, when are you making your own music? When are mm. your own songs coming out? You know, I remember running into... While I w my production company was crumbling to the ground, I think I was at Kitchener's and I ran into a girl I used to have a crush on in Queenstown. And she asked me like, yo, so when are you doing your own music videos? And I'm like, no, I am. I'm, I'm directing. I'm the director. And she's like, nah, I mean like your own songs, you know? And that just lit, lit a spark again. And like... It's always a woman. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know? I think um, all the other guys that said it, I thought they were just playing on me, you know. <laughs> but um, after that, I think me, Questa, Kid X, Smashes, you know, they were part of Cash Time Fam. Mm -hmm. um, so we were the youngins um, at the time. And, um, you know, I'd just be in studio with them, like, all the time, like, every day, and we'd just be making songs. Anytime someone, like, felt like, their verse wasn't ready or like they're not going to rap on this song, you know, I'd be there not filling that gap, you know, and that's when I started making like, and professionally like recording with other people, not just by myself, you know. Do you think that in your experience, you can turn being a songwriter into an actual comfortable living here in South Africa in the same way that, that maybe being a pop songwriter can actually earn you some good cash? Um, uh... I think it's very difficult. I think it's very difficult because you'd have to write quite a lot of songs to actually make a living off it. And a lot of people, even though you're songwriting for them, they're not going to pay you a session fee up front, you know, mm -hmm. so you're not running around getting like bags of cash. 
you know it's just whatever you get when it comes to royalties so the whole structure of it is so like um it's not really a thing yet especially in hip-hop because in hip-hop like you know you're not called a songwriter you're called a ghostwriter so mm-hmm. you're like something that needs to be hidden from the people so yeah the industry itself in terms of that i don't think it's at a point where it can sustain anybody yet I read that initially you thought of songwriting as a sort of sacrificial act where you have to like sacrifice yourself for the good of the music. Can you explain that train of thought to me? Because when I read that, I thought that that was very interesting. Well, I've always um, felt like for me, music is a calling and I think most artists would agree. Um, And so when I approach music, there's so many songs that sometimes maybe I could have just kept for myself. Mm-hmm. Or I just could have just like, you know, you know, whatever. But I think the only reason that, you know, even in those moments, I've just uh, surrendered them to whoever's hosting the session or whichever artist it is, is because, you know, sometimes the music, you could be the one writing it, but you're, you, you'd be, you can actually be writing it for someone else. So it's something that they need and that they are looking for, that God is probably just using you as a vessel to... To, to get it to them, you know, and I've seen it with a lot of songs. Sometimes you want to keep a song for yourself and then you keep it and then you have no place to use it, you know, mm. whereas someone that you're writing it for would be able to like release the song, shoot a video, go on a whole campaign for it and make it a huge song. And if it was your song, you know, maybe it wouldn't have been as successful, you know, so you need to be able to let the music guide you and let the music dictate um, how it comes out, you know. Something you've also expressed before is that you feel it took people a really long time to wake up to Kosa rap in South Africa. Why do you think it took people so long to catch on? First of all, I think it's a difficult language to just um, speak, you know. Um, and a lot of the times, like, you know, the the, the first couple Kosa artists that we had, you know, the it wasn't really embraced in Kosa rap to, to, to use slang, you know. Mm-hmm. It was all very like deep, like articulate, like Kosa, you know. Um, I found myself sometimes struggling to enjoy it or listen to it because, you know, I, I grew up in town. So there's a big difference from someone who grew up in town and someone who grew up in a village, you know. And that's the type of Kosa that they were usually using. And I don't think that translated easily to other ears, you know, but I think there's been artists that have uh, dumbed it down, so to speak, you know, uh, like I funny, but he might have probably dumbed it down a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, at the time it was refreshing and, you know, that's why he had the success that he had, you know, it's just um, after that, I think there was a big gap, you know, and, it um, it didn't evolve, you know, as as quick as it should have, and I think that's what has made it uh, uh, take so long to be a thing in rap. Mm. And then when you started your own label, uh, Young Legend Music, and then you signed a licensing deal with Sony Music Entertainment. For the yeah. people who don't understand the difference between having your own label and then signing to another for a licensing deal, can you break down the difference between the two? So Sony would initially have two types of deals for you. It would be an artist deal, which that's like full everything with the manager, 
uh, music, CD. What's it called? A 360 deal. 360. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's where, like, you know, you they, like the proper traditional record label deal that people know, where they push you and make sure that your things are proper. Then there's also a licensing deal, which is them making sure that all your music is out there on digital platforms, uh, physical CDs sometimes, if they still do that. And also... <laughs> You know, just like putting your music out there, you know. So that's the kind of deal that I have with Sony. Um, everything else is still on me. So it's like I'm still independent because I pay for my own music videos. I pay for my own music, my own album to be made, you know. Um, they don't cover any of those costs, um, but they take a percentage of the sales of the music that they do get to release. Well, that sounds like a sweet deal to me because it sounds like you still retain all of your creative rights. And the masters. Mm, very smart. Very, very smart. Um, and just before you dropped Utataku in 2019, you announced very publicly that you'd actually quit making music. What headspace were you in when you made that announcement? And then in the same breath, how did your fans respond when you got out of that funk? Um, when I announced that I was, I was, I was deeply hurt by the industry, you know, um, just looking at how long my journey had been, um, the, the things that I'd been able to accomplish, um, before just like making music and stuff. Um, yeah, I, I really felt hurt, man. And the contributions that I'd made to other people's songs and to still find myself in a in survival mode you know still trying to pay rent and still trying to do all these things and now i still have to release music and shoot videos and you know and get gigs and stuff you know and literally just doing it by myself you know i just really felt like um very unappreciated and overlooked you know and so i decided to make one more song so that it doesn't feel like <laughs> I was never here at all, you know? Um, and I decided that this time I'm going to make a song in my own language um, that speaks to my people, which I think is my core fan base, you know, the people that speak my language. And um, the song was like an immediate uh, success. Um, I think, you know, it's one of the reasons I was able to get that deal with Sony, you know? Um, but before then, you know, like I said, overlooked, underappreciated. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really like the fans that actually put their hand up and stopped me from exiting the game, so to speak, you know. And so they, they, they are solely responsible for, for, for that turnaround. You know, I can't attribute it to anything else. Obviously, the song is dope and, you know, everybody loves it. And uh, I went from being unappreciated to, to like, revered. And, and so, like, I'm appreciative of all of my fans and all my supporters that keep playing my music. I mean, the song is dope, and everybody did and does still love it. I mean, it blew up, and you walked away with Song of the Year at the SA Hip Hop Awards. You hit number three on MTV Bass's Hottest MC list, and we all know how crazy things get when that list comes out. And then, yeah. and then you're starting to get all of this recognition. How do you feel now that things are blowing up? Whereas a few months ago, like you were struggling to make ends meet. Um, how do I feel? 
be like, it's about time, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, <laughs> I really do, you know. Um, I really do. I think, you know, it's it's just like a really personal thing that me and God have going on between us, you know. we I don't know why, but he loves putting me through the most. Um, but he, he, he always shows up, you know, in the end. Um, I remember walking into uh, Keenan's place um, every time I walk in and like the guy is running out of shelf space for his awards, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, and I always ask myself, I wonder if I'll ever have one of my own, you know. And like right now I'm looking at three of them up here, you know. Uh, are you looking at them right now yeah, yeah are yeah. they in the room yeah <laughs> but uh it's a pop award song of the year i got uh it's a hip-hop award mixtape of the year and i got a summer for best hip-hop album so like for me that is bananas you know in my head because of just like reflecting of how i felt when i, I had none of them you know mm-hmm. um but is there a difference in terms of um i don't know my life has it changed? I think so. Um, but I also like my ambition grows every time I accomplish something, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I still feel hungry. I still feel like I have much to do. I still feel like I'm chasing something. And I still feel like we're just getting started. I'm happy that you mentioned that Sama Award because when you won Best Hip Hop Album at the Sama's last year for Becoming a Pop Star, the show was run digitally for the first time over the course of a week. And I remember watching it and it was cool, but it was very strange trying to wrap my mind around this sort of new normal that I was watching. And I thought that your acceptance speech was very eloquent and very heartfelt, dedicating it to your late dad. Can you ever really put a moment like that into perspective after all the hard work or did you just like let out a gigantic sigh like yes this makes it all so worth it well I think it took me a couple days to just um to just absorb that it had happened you know Uh, I think I was in a state of shock for a couple days um but like you know I'm also just kind of like glad that you know it wasn't live i don't know what i would have done i like i'm an i'm a very anxious person you know <laughs> like i can't imagine like standing on that stage with all those people and making an acceptance speech but you know so yeah i mean i had to dedicate it to my dad because he's like the first person to come to joburg and try and make something from nothing you know and I don't like if, if he didn't achieve that, like you know. So I'm here to just pick up the baton and, and see it through, you know. Um, yeah, it's just a surreal moment, man. I, I, you know, till today, like I look at this award and I just can't get over it. Like I can't believe it. I spoke to Ami Faku about her uh, win as well last year for best female. And I was saying there was no ceremony. Like, what did you do? And she was like, yeah, I didn't get a chance to wear the dress and walk the carpet and do the speech. And like, did you at least throw yourself a little after party at home or wherever you were? I had a pre-party, a during party, (laughs) (laughs) and an after party. (laughs) Funny thing, um, actually, like, Ami Falko was someone, you know, that, you know, I, I love as an artist. And I just went through a DM of hers the other day on Twitter and she hit me up maybe like two years before 
she, you know, everybody knew and she started making music and she was like, yo, you know, if you ever, cause like she did like these covers, you know, videos and I commented, I was like, wow, that voice, you know, and she's mm. like, yo, if you ever want to, uh, if you need a session artist for a hook or anything, please hit me, you know? And then she, she came through to Joburg and I, I put her in a session with Luck Music, you know, so I'm really proud of her and what she's done, you know? That's awesome. What a great story. But then three months after you drop Becoming a Pop Star, uh, mm-hmm. well, three months after your win, you drop your debut album, Pop Star. And it's this really like crafty, hooky journey of self-discovery. And I feel like with Becoming a Pop Star, you were like chasing a dream. And now with Pop Star, you fully realized what it is that you're doing. Do you feel like that's a fair assessment on my part? Yeah, I think... Um Look, becoming a pop star is something I knew, like, my educated music ear knows that this is music that people will like and work. Pop star is, you know, like you said, self-discovery. So I'm reintroducing myself to myself and to people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um there's like a whole trilogy of pop star. So this is the first part of the journey. Round one, fight. Where you get introduced to like my world and, and my headspace and and my thinking, you know. Um, becoming a pop star was just like good music, you know, nice EP, you know. Mm-hmm. But this one was very, very uh, personal, you know. I think Popstar is such a great album and it's so well thought out, like right down to the artwork where you teamed up with Matkosa to create the Masklava, which is basically like a hybrid mask and balaclava that you're wearing in the picture on the artwork. How important was it to you that everything sort of feed back to the album's core narrative? This is something like I really have to like thank... um, lockdown for my fellow south africans i think lockdown actually uh gave me time to be more purposeful in the things that i do around my music including things like artwork you know mm-hmm. i've always wanted to work with uh, laduma because we, we share the same clan name you know um so i always felt like it was something predestined you know preordained on us to do something together but i could never like really put my finger on how we could do it, you know, um, something that he hasn't done before. And I was trying to put together this album cover. I wanted it to have the same consistency as Neighborhood Genius um, becoming a pop star and pop star, which is just my face in like different um, ways. And because the uh, Neighborhood Genius, I had referenced uh, Steve Jobs on the cover. Mm And in becoming a pop star, I had referenced Michael Jackson. And this time I was I was just cracking my head to think, okay, what other great, you know, uh, genius, uh, superhuman person will I reference this time? And I felt like, you know, I need to reference myself, you know. And wearing his mask that he made and it being a Matosa mask, which is what I am, um, I think it just really like uh, honed in like my phase now and my era and my story, you know. 2020 was a rough year. I think I'm stating the obvious year. And, um, but 2021 seems to be shaping up to be more of 
of the same, but what what is your year looking like? What can you share with us in terms of what you're working on? I'm working on Popstar 2. Um, I think, obviously, because we can't go out there and perform our music, like we kind of reach a dead end at some point, um, a bit prematurely. Even if we do drop an album, that's great, you know? Um, and so I'm using this time to complete the Popstar trilogy that I've been working on. And the next phase of it, I think, you know, for 2021, obviously music videos for all of, well, my favorite songs on the album. And, um, but it's going to be a transition from, you know, we've gone from Eastern Cape to Joburg to South Africa. And I think Popstar 2 will intentionally be attacking the African market in 2021. That sounds great. Well, Younger, I just wanted to say thank you very much for joining me on the show today. It's been enlightening and entertaining and you're a real pleasure to chat to you and I can't wait to see the trilogy unfold in the next few years. Thank you so much, Tex. Shout out to Younger Chief for joining me in studio. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Tex Talks. Be sure to check out texttalks.com for more episodes. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or listen to Text Talks on all good streaming platforms. Also, a huge shout out to Tom's, the only music store, for being the most incredible technical supplier. From myself, Tex, our producers, Jonathan Ings and Matthew Lewitz, and our research assistant, Al Clapper, catch you on the flip side.